Welcome to Rector's Cupboard, a podcast for people who are interested in questions of culture and faith. We ask these questions from outside the institutional structures of religion. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you enjoy and benefit from the conversation. There's an interesting documentary on Netflix. Well, there's a number, but the one I'm thinking about, I think it's called The Last Blockbuster. And it talks about blockbuster video and the very last one, which is in a small town in Oregon. It plays, it's interesting that it's on Netflix because Netflix maybe was part of killing blockbuster. When I was a kid, you spent your Friday night or your Saturday night when I was a young adult going to the video store and standing in front of a wall and selecting a video and you hope they had it in and all that kind of stuff and you had late fees and everything else. And now there are no more blockbusters. Uh, The Bible never said that the gates of hell would not prevail against blockbuster, but apparently the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But at times it can seem like we're waiting for the last uh, blockbuster to close. The church in many people's minds is in decline. You may have participated in church Um, quite exhaustively in your past, and now maybe don't go to church at all. What is the church? Who is the church? Does the church have any role in society right now? Uh, What do pastors think about that? What do others think about that? Here at Rector's Cupboard, we were really pleased to be invited to enter into conversation with a friend of ours, David Goa, who is an author and museum curator, um, writer on all kinds of different topics of faith and culture, uh, he's the founder of the Ronning Center for Religion and Public Life, and uh, he's a bit of an Orthodox theologian as well. And so he said, why don't we talk about the church, who the church is, what the church is, and what people have to say. So this series is what has so far come out as a result of that uh, invitation. We speak with a number of people who care about the church and are willing to ask some of those honest questions about where the church is at and what the future looks like for the church in the days ahead. We've got uh, six episodes, I think, seven episodes, and, uh, and we'll be releasing those uh, every couple of days. And so if this is the first time you're listening, if you're listening as they're released, that will be the cadence. We hope you enjoy the conversation. The Church in Between Times, Episode 4. We speak with Presbyterian Minister and Director of Spiritual Formation for the Presbyterian Church, the Vancouver School of Theology, Rebecca Simpson. Rebecca's reflections on the church moved us towards the place of the minister, particularly for women in ordained ministry. I love the church, even if often she's the whore of Babylon. I've often been curious about the formation of clergy. I've often wondered what the clergy think the church is. And um, also, what do they understand themselves to be doing? What is their place within the community? What is their place within the world? And my sense is that we, we've entered a period where both there is a crisis in ecclesiology as well as a crisis in vocation. Um, am I a therapist? Am I a political activist? Am I a community 
animator? Hmm. Am I a spiritual director? Am I a shaman? Am I a worship leader? What, what am I? So uh, our conversations, in part, are to explore some of these things and, and hear what, what people think about them. Uh, and it's a bit self-indulgent on my part because I want to understand. So it's lovely that uh-huh. uh, Todd and Ellison have uh, arranged for these conversations that we can have here in Vancouver. Yeah, and we're grateful to be part of it. Um, we're joined for this conversation by Rebecca Simpson, who is uh, minister at St. Paul's Presbyterian in Mission, B.C., and over the last period of time also been uh, overseeing the uh, Presbyterian formation for students at uh, the Vancouver School of Theology. Um, among other things. So, Rebecca, welcome. Thanks for joining in the conversation on clergy and the church. Great to have so you here. So glad to be yeah, here with really you. Good to have you here. <laughs> How did you come to take clerical orders? Um, Seek the mantle. <laughs> get the blessing. <laughs> uh, well, I'll give you the short story. Um moved from the lower mainland of BC to Manitoba, followed my husband's career change from electrician into teaching high school. Found myself in a little tiny one-horse town. Shout out to Swan River, Manitoba. (laughs) Um, Drove into town in the evening uh, with a crying baby and a toddler in my car and my husband's truck packed to the rim drove past a little Bible college in a, in like a, I don't know, a portable, looked like a a high school portable. And I drove by there and I thought, I wonder what they teach there. I wonder if I'll go there. I mean, (laughs) when I look back at that now, I think, I don't know. Um, My husband was contemplating taking a master's degree and he needed to sign up for um, what, you know, in administration, in counseling, what would it be? And we're sort of doing that parental, like, nighttime in the bed. Oh, don't forget this. Oh, don't forget that. The light's out. We're falling asleep. And I said, you need to get your application in. And he said, no, you should go get your master's. Uh, well, I have a degree in, uh, an, e- an education degree with a master in biology. I was a high school teacher. And I said, I don't want a master's in biology. Like, I don't, I've kind of explored that as far as I want to go and I said in what and he said in theology <laughs> like literally <laughs> it was you know do you get up to go to the bathroom in the night and you can make your way to the bathroom without turning on the lights because you know yeah. the way yeah. right well I was like as long as somebody hasn't shut the door right exactly or children <laughs> haven't left toys as yeah. tripping houses it might in the be hall. painful it might yes. be painful but you know the way and in this moment i'm laying there falling asleep and and it was like a hand went in front of me reached past my shoulder and flipped on a light and i looked around the room in my mind's eye and i saw, well, i had no idea there was a light in this room i'd just been sort of making my way around and figuring mm. stuff out so it was really like a very uh flash sort of moment Um, And I had been a Presbyterian for a few years um, from the lower mainland area, Maple Ridge. And uh, so I got on 
on the phone and I called my home minister and said, what do I do now? So I, I found my way into Vancouver School of Theology. But before that... Never the, never the portable. No, okay. never the portable. <laughs> I So the thing is, is I w- although I was a Presbyterian, I was totally clueless as to the lay of the land when it comes to denominations. My parents had met in a non-denominational full gospel kind of 70s Jesus movement kind of thing. 70s charismatic kind of. Yep, yep, with an American uh, kind of Mm apostle-like fella, very charismatic, came in. Uh, My mom was born and raised uh, Presbyterian, but her mom mom and dad were Roman Catholic Presbyterian. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Married in the coat closet. Um, at the Roman Catholic Church in Saskatchewan, right? Because my grandpa didn't want to convert to Catholicism. So they just, they never darkened the door of a church again, sent their daughters down the street to a Presbyterian Mm. church because that's what was nearby. So grandma moves from Alberta to BC, comes to my parents' home and says, take me to the nearest Presbyterian church. I want to meet the guy who's going to bury me. My dad and I <laughs> look at each other. Dad hasn't been to a church forever because, of course, this full gospel, uh, free-roaming uh, church has broken up years right. ago. Lost all their friends, all their family. Turned away from church, didn't trust church. I'm a five-year-old kid, freshly baptized, and I don't know. I know. I think I know Jesus. I don't know church. Freshly baptized and no place to go. Yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> That's Absolutely. Sleeping with my, my <laughs> giant King James Version Bible under my pillow to keep the bad dreams away, right? Like that. That's uh, praying. My mom taught me about prayer and about the Holy Spirit. And anyway, flash way forward university. Here's grandma. Take me to the church to meet the guy who's going to bury me. My dad and I are like, well, we'll take you to the Presbyterian church. We'll do that together. So we took grandma. My mom's like, I'm not going. Um, grandma literally meets him. And is like, that's fine. I don't ever need to go back <laughs> we're again. We're done? Yeah, we're At done. Oh, not, my gosh. Not He's very form. nice. <laughs> He's a very nice man. He'll know who I am. Did he have he... a cold handshake? <laughs> no, it was all good. It was all good. Uh, but my dad and I looked at each other and said, I kind of liked that. You want to come back next Sunday? So we had a very warm welcome and, and kind of dug in. And I learned about what, what I was missing in church. I had no idea. I'd been raised right into my time in university with no uh, Christian community around me, with a distrust for the church, with a, mm-hmm. um, and not knowing what I was missing. They were going to disappoint you. Well, I already knew the story of a, how a church disappoints you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was happily, like, I guess my expectations were low. I don't know. But mm-hmm. also <laughs> that particular congregation was super warm and they... They greeted us and joined, like, uh, I found in that place that I was allowed to come up with ideas and run with them, and I was found a great deal of encouragement, and um, I sat in the membership classes where the, the minister spoke about, the, you know, p- how mission work is done in the Presbyterian Church in Canada. And I thought, hmm, maybe when I retire from being a high school teacher, <laughs> I will go on a mission trip. That, you know, that was, but 
but like those were some of the seeds of my call yeah that came in those times um so when uh when i looked at this light bulb literally coming on in my life and i looked around and i could see the lay of the land i didn't i knew i was called but i didn't know what all that would entail um and there were people who i could talk to and I just came, we came home and uh, I started my journey at VST mm. and I did not know what I was in for, mm-hmm. but I knew that I was called. Yeah. What did you learn or come to understand the church to be? Well, I mean, the thing that convinced me or, or really uh, caused me to want to become part of the church was uh the the community aspect i know that's such a cliche but i had been being a christian on my own with mm-hmm. barely a bit from my parents because of their great deal of pain mm-hmm. um and so to come and see how this ragtag crowd of people mm-hmm. were kind of knit together by what like what did they have in common um, and we could, you know, sing out loud in front of each other poorly and nobody, t- there were just weird things that we were doing that I, that were fun. I liked being in the, in the kitchen and cleaning things up with people and chatting and hearing about their lives and, um, what was the church? It was a, a place to belong and it was a place to serve. And I had an energy I didn't have words for it. I didn't have vocabulary yet, but I had an energy within me of wanting to contribute and help uh, or participate. And it was an outlet for all of that. I already believed in God. I already was a follower of Jesus. Um, But to live that out loud and to actually be able to assume some things in common with Mm -hmm. people. So belong serve the church, serve your fellows in the church, mm-hmm. and a certain kind of fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. But like a, a deeper, I came to see a deeper kind of, I know there's, I've had people say, I hate the word fellowship. Yeah. Because they, they don't like the light version, right? The mm-hmm. get together, drink some coffee and chat, um, which is fine. Um, but I think the fellowship that comes mm-hmm. like... Um, Oh, Bonhoeffer, when he talks about how when the Christ in me is low, mm-hmm. but the Christ in you mm-hmm. is is full, um, you know, that interchange of w- when my faith is waning right. and I see the strength of yours, uh, that's what I came to see. Um, and then when I get to do that for you, that's where I came to see the benefit of Christian community. And in in the kind of pop-up Christian community that is summer camp every every summer. Um, they, like, they're living Christian community in a, in a full-out, really intense sort of way, kids at summer camp, the, the staff at a summer camp. And uh, it, that, that really formed my idea about So in your well. early working out of that call, there was a lot of camp work. Uh, actually, as soon as I graduated with my MDiv from VST, I was exhausted. I had a I had a six month old baby when I went in when I started school, plus two other kids, 
Um, and I did my MDiv a lot faster than I expected. And I just needed like, I needed a minute. And <laughs> Fair I, enough. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. What you're doing your second course now? Third course? Uh, I'm like four courses in okay. or something right. like that. Two kids. And I'm just like, nah, I don't know how she does that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't have to do it that way, but we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, by chance, one of the, a colleague of mine said, hey, our summer camp is looking for a director and you were a high school teacher. Why don't you mm. apply? And it's a half-time job. And they would provide a nanny for the summer. I could take my three kids to camp and kind of see my husband on the weekends. Um, which, that was the... that You know, there was mm-hmm. some sacrifice to do that. But yeah, it was awesome. It was a wonderful experience. So I did that first, actually. Where was that camp? Uh, on Sunshine Coast here in BC, oh. uh, Roberts Creek. So this is a Presbyterian denominational yeah. mm-hmm. summer camp? That's right, yeah. So all the children that come to it are children of Presbyterians? No, f- maybe 40%. We did 40%. a survey. Uh, 60% have either mostly no affiliation or like a grandparent kind of connection to some kind of church-ish type. Maybe we used to be this. I don't know. So that hmm. makes it a, a more diverse group of people. So when you say this is an example or this is where you understood something about what it means to be the church. Can you put any words to that, what you saw there? Yeah. And also the way the children manifest that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, First of all, we the the staff when I arrived, they would say, "Well, at Camp Douglas, the way we do things is, if you get called on for to help someone, it doesn't matter what your job description is, you dive in and you help." And I said, "Well, that may be a Camp Douglas <laughs> way of doing things, but also that's a Christian church way of doing things, like an ideal." So there were ideals and values embedded in the culture of the camp that. I really enjoyed pointing everyone to and saying, this is what it means to be a Christian not or a follower of Christ, not just uh, a Camp Douglas person. There's that piece. Then there mm. was also, if, we, if you stop and think about the activities of a Christian summer camp, you're praying and singing in the morning. You're praying and singing before the... Before the before every meal, you're getting a staff Bible study, a kid's Bible study, a message at the campfire, a morning chapel. The days were punctuated by a focus and a turning to uh, prayer, worship, singing together. um, Almost makes you as good as the Muslims. (laughs) Five times a day. Yeah. But yeah, but but yeah. in a in a way that was par- just woven in naturally right, too yeah, yeah well, I mean or a Benedictine monastery sure, right, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the other piece was striving mm. to see that all the mountaintop experiences we were having at the camp who do we attribute this to mm. is it because Grandma footed the bill for the camp fee is it because the staff are really well trained is it because somebody uh, donated the land so we had a spot on the ocean well yeah but also Jesus right so the 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 fun part of being in that Christian community was helping the young people to teach the children the campers 
if the kids feel loved, if the kids feel they belong, if the kids feel like they had a really good time, can we teach them that that's because of Jesus? That it's not us that provided it, but it's by the grace of God that this came into your life. And because we came from all different places, not all the staff were Presbyterians, and some who were didn't know what that even meant, we stuck to the fundamentals. What is a salvation issue? What brings life into our community? What, what are the footsteps we're going to follow? Um, the basics. And we kind of let the rest just be. So you moved from being camp director to being minister. I was co-vocational. I used to do a lot of pulpit supply as camp director. And I used to really enjoy driving out to mission um, to do pulpit supply there. And we had so many weird times where... I I was there when the power was out and the, this was that and the community would just say oh that's okay we're just gonna do this and they were so flexible and and just easygoing and I I j- always found myself in the morning thinking oh I get to go out mm. to St Paul's so then when their the call their um, profile was released and they were open to seeking to having somebody come I just sent a proposal mm. into the interim moderator and said, hey, would they let me be what today we'd call co-vocational, which maybe we did then, but I didn't know what it right. was. Um, what does that mean? Can I serve the camp I and see. the congregation I at the see. same time? Hmm. Um, and yeah, our presbytery agreed to it. And uh, I guess people discerned. They figured God was calling that into life. <laughs> So you were um, part-time at the church and part-time at the camp. Yep. And then there was a time I started to try to work myself out of a position at the camp and and I was full-time at Camp Douglas or sorry at uh, St. Paul's for a number of years and then recently took on I've switched again to be part-time with the denominational formation role and part-time with the church again. What did you come to understand your place to be as the pastor, the clergy person within that particular community. What's the, what's at the center of that? What do you do? What do you be? What's the point? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't have it figured out. Um, because and and that was I I nearly didn't get ordained because I could not figure this out in my time of of uh, like I learned by watching somebody do something and then beginning from that place and and kind of becoming moving forward into my iteration of mm-hmm. well I didn't know what does a woman in the pulpit look like I didn't it was sixteen years ago twenty years ago I didn't. No. And I didn't know that I didn't know. I didn't know that that would be a problem for me. Um, but you'd never seen it. I'd never seen it, and I didn't know why I needed to see it. I didn't know why I was uncomfortable just being a me version of the men in the pulpit that I had witnessed. And so I had quite a, quite a little 
crisis and well not little it was big i i went to our church's guidance conference and they said not at this time they can say yes no uh maybe later and yes with these requirements and they just said maybe later and that was devastating to me. I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand that. Yeah. You went to them. Well, to like see in the candidacy process. As Is this for ordination? Toward, or for toward ordination. Okay. I see. Yeah, yeah. So they said later. They said, you're not ready. Maybe later. Maybe later. Not at this time. That's what they say. Not at this time. And then you just, they tell you that. And then you get on an airplane from Toronto home. <laughs> like after how many years of school and. So the only thing you right. have is that it wasn't no. Yeah, kind but of. yeah. So this is what I had. I had a beautiful woman who had been been told, "Yes, you're wonderful. Like you're there in a cohort of people, right?" And and she sees me just like crying, right? She says, "Come here. We're gonna pray." Like the bus is leaving for the airport in half an hour. We're sitting in cross legged in the grass, and oh she's holding goodness. my hands, and she's like, "I'm a prayer counselor, and we're gonna pray." And I was like, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> My head's sure, down, you know, <laughs> bodily fluids pouring from my face. And she's got my hands like so tight. And she's not, and she's like, God, we just need a sign of, of what, where you are and what you want for Rebecca. And just what, we're not going to stop praying right now until you give Rebecca a sign. And I'm like, dude, the bus is coming. Never mind that. I need my hands back because my nose is running. Like, what is going on? But. Seriously, I got a flash of a picture of a park near my childhood home, and it was across the street. And I saw that playground, and I was going to run for it. And in that picture, a big hand came down and stopped me in the chest. And, and I just had the sense of, yes, we're going to the playground, but hold on. We're going to go there in my time. Look, this is a road. You've got to slow it. And then take me by the hand. Let's go. Mm. So, you know what? That little vision anchored my understanding of call. And I'm patience. not answering your question, no, but... No, that's, you but are. You are. You're speaking to it. Yeah, but like, I if I didn't have that moment, I wouldn't have... I would have given up. Yeah. Uh, because I didn't know. I could never say, this is what I look like. What was getting me into trouble is, I came out of a teaching background, and I had been teaching in adult education. And... Uh, the model there is facilitator. The students came in off the street into a storefront and they said, hi, I would like to be able to read the newspaper better. And when I read it, I want to understand what it's about. So I would sit down and we'd pull out newspapers and we'd read it together. And then they, you know, one day just not show up again because they had met their learning goal. So I saw myself as a facilitator and that was a weak form of leadership, mm. I was told. Oh, that was the... That was that was the problem. The maybe later. It was a weak form of leadership. Well, and I I didn't have the thick enough skin to, and and the foresight to like respond well to right. that. <laughs> I, that tore me up. Right, it, it was very devastating. But God was gracious in giving me, ju all I needed was that little mm -hmm. vignette to hold on to. Mm -hmm. I knew I was called. I didn't know how I was going to form. I mm -hmm. didn't know what it was going to look like. And I, I, that's still the case, <laughs> honestly. But you're teaching now also yeah. at VST and formation for the yes. Presbyterian Church of Canada. When you, when you think about those young people that are now, uh, at least to some extent, under your guidance, 
What is your sense of um, the important things for them to understand about the nature of the church and the nature of the world and the dance of those two? Well, I think uh, a very deep dive on your own sense of God's call uh, and a lot of clarity on where it is in that dance that you fit in. Hmm. Um, an intense focus um, and a, over time, um, an understanding your own identity first as a child of Christ, uh, you know, a child of God as a as a brother and sister of Christ, as a like whatever. How do you, how what's your branch look like as attached to the vine? Um, as an individual, but then in community, in in leadership, what are your, you know, really basic things like what are your gifts and skills and stuff, but also, um, what's your distinct uh, identity, right? The Psalm one thirty nine, being knit together in my mother's womb, I'm I'm in front of you, behind you, all around you. I know you. I know mm-hmm. you better than you know you. And I've so, called you by name. Exactly. And so how do I see myself through God's eyes instead of an interpretation of myself through the eyes of other people around me, right? It was a struggle. So I, I want to help the students to, to have that embedding. And that actually, kind of, that idea, I realize it's, it's not my idea, but I actually came across it, came around to understanding it for myself through my teacher training. Um, our ad- teachers were dropping out. They they wouldn't last five years after training, and so our our professional development program teachers said, you know, the best indicator for a teacher who's going to last is a teacher who, instead of emulating a really awesome teacher that they admire and trying to be that person, they come to understand their own identity as a teacher. You can take, borrow from, be inspired by all of that, but who sure. are? What's your own identity? And I think, uh, I think that the same goes for leadership in the church. Now, what is leadership in the church? Uh, we have lots of models. Like who? I just did uh, that apest uh, mm-hmm. testing, right? The apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, um, things like that. Like, what what skill do you lead with? That's going to help determine where in the church uh, you you fit well. Um, what part of the church needs your skills in the world? I love being a church leader in the world. I had no idea that that would be so wonderful. Um, but to like walk around my little town, and I don't know, it's small enough that when I first moved there, people knew I was new, and they said, where do you work? What do you do? I'm the minister at a Presbyterian church. And they're like, what's a minister? What's a Presbyterian? What's a church? <laughs> what's a church? <laughs> totally. We know the church of the blues at Dudney. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so in a way, as those people got to know me, they were getting to know mm-hmm. what the minister So we were getting to know it together. It's, in, it's interesting, you... Rebecca, you say that I love being a church leader in the world. That's not the first time we've heard something like that in our conversations here. That there is, I don't know if it's, I mean, we, one of the things we talk about in these conversations is this particular point in time in the history of the church and, you know, pandemic, post-pandemic, is there a crisis? What you know? Uh, but this has been something we've heard from, mm-hmm. I think it, 
both people we've interviewed thus far. Um, but, it, you know, the in a sense, the exhaustion or the uncertainty of being a church leader in the church and the life-giving element of being a church leader in the world. That's interesting for a minister, right? What do you totally. do with that? Totally. When I went through a little bit of a minor health crisis and it felt like burnout and part of, you know, my elders said, oh, well, you can have Friday afternoons off. Great. What, <laughs> what does that even mean? You had elders who <laughs> knew when you worked? I, yeah, anyway. yeah, well, you know, and like what, Friday afternoon, yeah. you mean when I'm writing my sermon, yeah. but okay. Um, that there, uh, but but what I ended up doing with that time, what I w- wanted to do, what I would find life giving, was something practical in the community. So I started volunteering at the Mission Youth House, um, which is an outreach to homeless youth. Um, and I would just go there and fold laundry. I just needed something practical to do. But things that came from my presence, I'm I was no hero. I was not saving the Mission Youth House. I was like they did not really need me. But I got to kind of be someone who's part of a church who's physically doing something practical in a place where people are hurting. And and I, I got to be in on practical help for a hurting group. Anyway, I guess um, I got had more up, be up, yeah. uh, what are the words? Yeah, well, like life giving. Yes. and kind of just yeah. Yeah, and then and but the connections that came out either. of that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what? I don't mind meetings. Okay. I used to be so lonely in church leadership that I was like desperate for a presbytery meeting because at least I would oh, see some different people. <laughs> that is bleak. Okay, yeah. So right. That's like Todd's worst nightmare. More meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But that just goes to the loneliness of yeah. some. Uh, and the loneliness of clergy. Yeah, and, and and I think yeah. we have seen, um, like, is there a crisis in the church right now? What does that have to do with the pandemic? Those kinds of things. But the the vocational crisis for many clergy and what loneliness has to do with that, right? You know what? If you're not, um, if you're not maintaining that connection to the vine uh, and understanding yourself as the branch that you are, um, you're just gonna wither. And there's all kinds of ways to maintain, but it, it really is like the manna. It's every day. You can't just sort of go hard on a couple of days and save it up for the next few days. It doesn't work that way. Um, hmm. And I think that the church has been brought to its knees by a lot of things. Uh, the pandemic just kind of sped up the last few bits of whatever hubris and arrogance mm. we had left in our mm. idea of self-sufficiency. Um, and laid bare the the fact that is that we don't do well when we're too powerful and influential and have a lot of authority. Um, we do better when things come hard, when it's not easy, when we don't have all the answers and we don't have the influence and and the stuff we took for granted. So mm, the really thing is is how do you help the leaders who have not been fed and and formed in a way that um, convinces them? I mean, we give it lip service that how do you stay that connected branch with the vine? We, we all know it, but we just don't do it. 
In my experience as a pastor, there was that for sure. That's the foundational. But you're kind of pointing to another piece of the, if if being a minister or clergy was a struggle, I think that, which is how do you find freedom from the perceived expectations of the congregation? And mm-hmm. I say perceived on purpose because yeah. often I realize those were expectations I was putting on myself, but the congregation was not putting on me. 100%. In other cases, there were absolutely unattainable expectations. Yeah. I would often, you know, someone would come in and give me a bulletin from the church they were at, yeah. you know, some giant <laughs> oh, church. And totally. We just went to this <laughs> church. This? And yeah. Thank you for this bulletin. Yes. <laughs> that tells me what we will never be able to do. Yeah. Um, and... So it is maintaining that connection to the vine, but also even when you're doing that, yeah, you will have to separate this from your, your vocational identity. Exactly. Because you got to see yourself through God's eyes, not through the eyes of whoever it is that you think yeah. is, knows what you're supposed to be doing, yeah. right? In the long history of the church, uh, there's been some ways of understanding that because it's un- it's understood that that's that requires a spiritual discipline that's not something that you can just do uh, because our passions that is our nostalgia our utopian dreams are constantly plaguing us and they're becoming the prism through which we see the present and they rob us of the present 100%. so at least at its best the Christian tradition has understood the bishop as being the pastor to the pastors, and in many periods, healthy periods in the church, uh, pastors, priests, would have um, a, um, I mean, I'm hesitant about the term, but it's the term that's used historically, a spiritual father or spiritual mother, Mm -hmm. someone who they have confidence in, and who they can speak their heart to. Yes. And on occasion, somebody who can read their heart even when they can't mm-hmm. read it themselves. Yes. So there are these two dimensions. And one of them, because in, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, in any case, bishops were always called from the monastic world. And in the Orthodox tradition, the church is a spiritual hospital. Monasteries are the insane asylum. So you choose people from the insane asylum. <laughs> to run the hospital? You ch- <laughs> often they take over. The worst cases take over the monasteries. There's no question about that. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes it really it becomes a hothouse and you really get spiritual genius. Mm-hmm. And when those people are chosen and become bishop, they then become very profound pastors to the pastor. Mm-hmm. And I've often wondered in say, in the Lutheran church that I've known a little bit, even where they've reintroduced the episcopacy, the the bishop is a CEO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The bishop's a manager, mm-hmm. an administrator. Mm-hmm. And so this loneliness mm-hmm. that pastors are it's faced exacerbated with by is that. terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Because so you think I'd have to answer to them and perform for them. And well, yeah. and, and yeah. then we feel like we have to be the mini-CEO of our little, ti- you know, our, our little right. franchise, right? Um well, the Presbyterian Church is structured in this very, very definite way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a remarkable kind of structure, and it is about order. Mm-hmm. Hmm? It's about order and process. Yeah, and like our bishop, if we had one, would be our presbytery, yeah. which is our colleagues. Mm. 
who are also our bishop. And the so the collective is the bishop. Yeah, the yeah. The, the presbytery. The yeah. other ministers and elders um, together form the presbytery and they're already worn out and trying to carry this institution that made sense for a short period of time in the 50s <laughs> and now we've got to keep, keep it going, it going. <laughs> so it's an amazing thing to f- fantasize the possibility of a committee <laughs> being your your spiritual assistant oh. <laughs> uh, that's interesting but you know the, the thing that where i have hope for the church is the places where i see like i bumbled myself into um, by crying for help uh, and some colleagues invited me into uh, a little mentoring group Mm -hmm. where we had that uh, wise experienced Mm -hmm. pastor Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. would meet with us monthly Mm -hmm. all Presbyterians so we could talk about the institution in its denominational expression Um, and we could be honest and encourage each other. We got the few tips and tricks, but mostly for me, it was a safe place to say mm-hmm. how things work and realize you're not alone. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's lots of things along the way that help us, but the big thing is getting out from under the burden of dragging an institution. That's not the church. I see in what you're doing now. I'm, I'm talking about the Presbyterian formation, the St. Andrews Hall work, VST. David, when you refer to like spiritual father, spiritual mother, there's an aspect of that in, in that work. And there's such life in that, right? There's such like, it's so, um, looking at that bivocational part of your job in the church, and I, I can feel this now and I identify with it from my own time of being a pastor. Um, is it possible in, in a church to... Like, are, are the models going to be there where we can sustain, be sustained? And you, you didn't do it just for a few, like, this isn't just a few years for you. And No. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm also really involved with our uh, Presbyterian Church uh, expression of cyclical, which is a church planting um, I don't, expression. Yeah, I don't know. like new initiatives. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And, and like... I, what I see is the church has a ton of resource bound up in land and buildings, and we're starting to we're just facing we need to liquif- liquidate that yeah. and get it moving into other places so that new expressions, I mean over time new expressions of of how we be the church and do the do church together have happened. So we've it's time to change it's time to just to get a little more nimble and responsive and experimental and not be so afraid because um yeah the resources are tremendous they are yeah they're they tremendous are, honestly and now the willingness vision. yeah the question of vision yeah but the willingness and the realization that brings me back to the idea of we're at our knees and so now we need to yep. figure it out and there's some there's some people there though Hey. And there's some younger people and there's a, that you could help and maybe they won't have, yeah. they'll have different challenges, and but maybe they won't have the challenges you had. Right. And there, God's still going to call some people to pastor in this traditional sense of what it looks like right now. Like, I believe that God will provide for the church. Like, yeah, the church is, can be the whore of Babylon at times, but it's also the bride of Christ. And so as the They're bride the same. of... Yeah, exactly. Mm. So as the bride of Christ, like Christ will provide 
um, for all stages. Mm-hmm. It's it's just that question of what time is it? Where are we really at? And what mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. happening? What is God doing right now? If we can figure that out, then we know where we can fit in. Um, uh, thank you so much. It's uh, I, I'm really I just picture those educational environments more the more the uh, mentoring or whatever word we want to give it environment where you are able to speak to young people or to other people, not all young, but asking these questions and, and imagining a future that is not going to be like, like the one you had, but, but the hope that's in that. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason for some of these conversations is the church today (laughs) and where are things headed? Um, And so we see that in your work and in your, and in the end, I don't know, I just try to, you know, it's all response to that sense of call, right? Yeah. Like even now and the changes that are going on totally. in your vocation now, it's like I'm still responding to that to that call. Yeah. It's uh y- you know, you got to keep your eye on the heart monitor. What wh- what's what's the pulse of God? The great Latin American poet Borges writer talks about God being the god of the cracks. Yes. Yeah. So Thank you so much. Fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Rector's Cupboard releases a new episode every other Friday. The podcast is a production of Reflector Project. Hosts are Todd Weeb and Allison Williams. Cupboard master for tastings and locations is Ken Bell. Production and social media by Amanda Miner. For past episodes and other content, visit rectorscupboard.ca. Thanks for listening.